close your eyes, everybody close your eyes and just take some deep breaths. O heavenly creator, grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change the courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, taking this world as it is and not as we would have it. We are blessed to be together and spend this time shared in unity and connection. Blessings to all. That's it. Amen. Thank you. Great. Okay. Well, um, what we have been talking about is kind of uh, how the One Infinite Creator um, okay, well, we're going to get started, and we're going to be talking about um, the, how the one infinite creator was able to conceive slowly over time this sense of consciousness. And for what Ross says is that for most of, I guess you could call it time, but there was it's so much time that Ross says it's not meaningful to even think about, and a lot of it takes place in the timeless realms. But Ross says that most of creation has never really separated from the one infinite creator's consciousness. And that the sense of um, the creator experiencing itself through third density uh, is, I guess you could say, relatively recent. <laughs> um, but it, it happened prior to this octave. So in other words, there was a whole big bang, a whole development, and then a closing in, and then there was a, a harvest of that logos, logos which under, understood a lot of things, and then gave that information to another logos, which then blew into existence, and that's our octave. But what happened at the beginning of our octave, before as it was blowing up in, into existence, and over you know billions of years, there were third density planets that would host third density life towards the center of the um, galaxies, what you found is that they didn't have the veil of existence. And so that's one of the things that we ended last time with is this idea of the veil of forgetting, sorry, the veil of forgetting, forgetting that we are all one, forgetting that we are one with the one infinite creator and that we're one with each other and that we're one with creation. And there was absolutely an incredible amazing um, result to this and it really sped up a lot of uh, evolution through third density because it became so intense and so what we're going to be talking about today is what do the archetypes look like what does the flow of consciousness look like through the archetypes the archetypal mind of the logos which is also our mind in third density and remember what we talked about last time, too, is that 
um, the archetypal mind could be under of the logos could be understood as kind of the a periodic table of consciousness at the atomic level. You know, you don't get more basic than that. Uh, but it, and it's from that we can we create our own third density consciousness here. Okay, so you have to have this sort of a consciousness atomic scale, and that's what these archives are. I'm sorry, that's what these. Um, these archetypes are. <clears throat> so before the veil, however, Ross says that there were nine archetypes. And I have it here. Um, it says, prior to the experiment to extend the first distortion, how many archetypes were there for the creation of the logos at that time? And Ross says, there were nine. And Don asks, nine archetypes? Uh, I'll, I'll guess that those nine were the three of the mind, three of the body, and three of the spirit. Is that right? Yes, Ross says. And then Don uh, eventually asks, well, what did they correspond to? And Ross says, the body, the mind, and the spirit each contained and functioned under the aegis or control of the matrix, the potentiator, and the significator. So the, the matrix, the potentiator, and the significator um, were the th were were three, and each one, each the mind, body, and spirit each had these. So if you recall, the matrix is the conscious mind, and the potentiator is the unconscious mind, and the significator is the you could call it the uh, decision-making mind or the sense of self or the self that takes what is being understood and experienced and then makes a decision. What am I seeking and for what purpose am I seeking? How and why? Because the significator means significance or significant self. And in Latin and, and uh, of course, uh, Spanish, Significar, significado means the meaning, meaning. So it's the meaning self. Okay. Um, but that didn't really correspond to transformation or spiritual or um, mental evolution. And so Ross says that the way that uh, how fast people would go through third density was comparable to a turtle and a cheetah. <laughs> Just You could maybe even think of millions of years in third density uh, because it wasn't even a concept to need to polarize. And there was no such thing as the negative path with the veil. It would be like two trees fighting. I mean, trees don't fight. Uh, there's no sense of fighting in the trees. They're all connected. The roots are connected and everything like that. Um, so that concept didn't even enter into the mind. But after the veil, we have interesting things. We've got <clears throat> the seven archetypes of the body. So we have the matrix, the potentiator. Then it was discovered that catalyst is important and it's its own archetype. And then catalyst has to be experienced. Uh, catalyst 
um, put into the bank, if you will, the, the library, um, that's kind of like experience. So catalysts get put into, um, I call it a sifting system. And over time, through the catalyst of experience, these biases begin to form. Of course, we have the significator. And then we have transformation. That's an actual archetype. And lastly, we have the great way. That makes up seven. And we're going to get into tonight, we're going to get into the seven um, archetypes of the mind. Because Ra talks about that once the veil was put in between the potentiator of the mind and the matrix of the mind, the veil was put right there in between the matrix and the potentiator. Once, once that happened, it rearranged all of these things. Um, so the mind affected the body and it affected the spirit archetypes and it just kind of rearranged everything. And so we're going to look at the mind first. It's, and also it's what's very helpful for us once we learn a little bit more about the archetypes on how to live them out um, in a daily basis. And then another thing that was um, appreciated as its own archetype, and believe it or not, this is, this is something that the raw group on Venus did not even appreciate themselves. They said it wasn't until they got to the fourth density that they actually appreciated that there was an archetype that they didn't give a lot of, they, they didn't know it really existed too much. They may have had some idea that there was this choice of polarity, but because the raw group was overwhelmingly harmonious, uh, they were one of the 60% of planets that, that um, go to fourth density positive. Sorry, 60% of planets who are third density are positive. 30% of planets who are third density are mixed, negative and positive, like ours. And then 10% of planets are negative. And Ra's Venus was one of the 60% positive. And so they, they graduated to fourth density and they didn't even realize that there was an archetype called the choice of polarity. And Ra says that the archetype of the fool or the choice of polarity is paired with the significator. And the reason why is because the significator is the meaning-making uh, self, if you recall. So the, the significator is always there um, saying, what I'm doing right now, is that in alignment with the choice of positive or negative, depending on what I've chosen, or not? That's why it's paired with the significator. Okay. Um, there are also uh, seven archetypes of spirit. So we have the matrix, the potentiator, the catalyst, the experience, transformation, and the great way. And they were they're so uh, powerful and in a way different that I really couldn't even just have them on the slides. Um, being circles like I did the other ones. I had to actually kind of <laughs> change it up. But we're going to get into the essence of that um, a little bit later on. Uh, so we're going to jump right on into this particular type of flow. Now, uh, 
what I'm about to present to you is coming from my own distortions, my own uh, limited way of understanding the law of one material, especially the archetypes. They tend to be the most complicated part of the whole material, I think. And um, Ra doesn't come out and just say too much about them. It's a lot, a lot of pieces here and there. And, you, and, and if you take the whole uh, material together and you listen to it enough, like I have, you, pieces start being put together um, so you can kind of make sense of it. So what we're seeing tonight is the way I've made sense of these pieces. But it might be that you find another person who's done some of the archetypes in it what they say might actually make a lot more sense. But I'm going to offer to you what makes sense to me and what has helped me in my own psychological um, working lately, as well as my clients. Uh, um, okay. So Ross says that, um, that there are certain parts, certain archetypes that are unconscious and certain archetypes that are conscious. And the significator and matrix, I have put those together as the conscious mind. Uh, Rob mentions, and we'll talk about this later, but Rob mentions that the matrix uh, informs the significator. The significator figures out what's, what to do once whatever is unconscious through the potentiator here moves up into the matrix, and then the significator says, all right, this is what we're going to do about it. So the conscious mind is up here. The unconscious mind is the experience, the catalyst, and the potentiator. And they're in this particular shape for a reason. And we're going to get to that reason. It'll become apparent a little bit later. And I hope that once you see it all put together, it's going to make a lot of intuitive sense um, and I know for me it has. It's almost like I can kind of sense now these um, these archetypes in my own field, in my energetic field, that have almost like a bubble-like quality that's existing. And it's, it's, it's kind of a cool experience. And maybe I can describe it a little bit later. It's a bit mystical, so it's hard to describe. So the matrix, what, what I've done here is we're going to talk about the conscious mind first. Uh, the, the three, or, I'm sorry, the two areas of the conscious mind. And then we're going to talk about the three areas of the unconscious mind. So the matrix of, of mind is activated by the potentiator. Remember, the potentiator is the unconscious. And the matrix is linked with the significator. So the matrix is linked with the significator. You can almost see it as if it's helpful to see it this way, you can think of like the matrix box as being, um, I don't know that the body of somebody and the, and the significator is the head, <laughs> or you could think of the matrix as the neck and the significator as the head. Um, if that's helpful to kind of get this sense of a flow, which we'll get to in here in a second, the significator of the mind is the heart of the archetype. Okay. It is driven by the creator's original thought. And remember, the original thought is to seek experience. It just keeps coming up, keeps coming up. Seek. And the original desire, 
which is to seek union and unity. So the thought to express outward and then the original desire to move inward, not only inside ourselves to have integration of the, of the different parts of ourselves, but also to integrate and become one with everything. Okay, so that's the original desire. The significator <clears throat> decides how, when, and why it seeks, and to what end. The significator is linked with the matrix of mind because it makes meaning of the catalysts that come up through the potentiator, the unconscious mind, and into the matrix. And, eat, and so Ra says, each potentiation which has been re reached for by the matrix is recorded by the matrix but experienced by the significator. So that's a little bit of the, the actual raw um, evidence of some of the stuff that we're talking about there. Each potentiation which has been reached for by the matrix, given to the matrix by the potentiator, uh, is recorded by the matrix, but it's experienced by the significator because the significator is the significant self that's going to make a, make a choice of what to do with it. See? That's why I've linked them. Now we're going to look at the unconscious. Okay. The unconscious mind, I have started it with the experience of mind. The experience of mind archetype includes all of the biases and experiences garnered in past lives, the present life, and the deep mind. So that's that's going to be its own its own archetype is experience. Again, I kind of think of it as uh, a big old library, you know, where different things are shelved and put up. Then catalyst, all Ross says, all that assaults our senses is catalyst, and that's whether it's sensing our our body or the world that we're around, or it's the experience, as we'll see here in a minute, a lot of what the catalyst archetype uh, gets assaulted by, if you want to use that that word, is actually experience the experience archetype. The experience archetype creates biases, gives that as a catalyst to the catalyst archetype, which then gives it over to the potentiator. Okay, so we're going to talk about that flow. The potentiator of mind archetype receives catalyst from the catalyst of mind archetype and begins to potentiate action. So remember potentiate action. It means like taking a, a bottle and shaking it up, shaking it up. All that energy is becoming to potentiate and starts to move up into the subconscious from the unconscious and then to the lower levels of the conscience. That's the matrix. The matrix is recording all of this stuff. It's getting the message from the potentiator. It's like, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something. And then the significator says, and I know what I'm going to do. And I know why I'm going to do it. So these are all these. Um, so we have the conscious mind and the unconscious mind. But we have, there's a flow. There's going to be a flow of how consciousness actually moves. And now we're going to jump into that, this actual flow of consciousness. 
And I've outlined nine different ways that the consciousness flows. Okay. So I'm going to read here. And this is, this is where it starts. I think it starts to get pretty interesting in terms of the flow of consciousness. And, and as I'm reading it, see if, you, if it makes sense to you as well. Um, okay, so we're going to start with number one. Experience is given. Okay, let's pretend that this is a newly minted third density being. And I guess it doesn't have to be newly minted, but you know, brand new, let's say. Or, but let's say maybe an infant, you could even say too. An infant. Um, experience is given to a newly minted third density being, and these in include biases and lessons learned from. Here we go. Here's the list. Past lives plus the karma. The racial mind plus karma. Planetary mind plus karma. The archetypal mind of the sub-logos. That would be the archetypes of what we're talking about right here. That's also experience. Um, the deep mind of the sub-logos. And one of the ways that Rod talks about how the sub-logos, our sub-logos, which is our sun, has a particular, has a deep mind. And Ross says that kindness is an actual bias of our sub-logos, that, that our sub-logos has a bias towards kindness, compassion, um, also opposable thumbs. <laughs> there, was a, there was a bit of a, a decision made to, to have opposable thumbs. Does anybody remember why? I remember why. Yeah. So that we could use them to screw ourselves over and screw one another over <laughs> to, to, well, literally to complicate things a little bit so that we could use our good brains to uh, create a more catalytic environment for ourselves. Yep. Uh, that's right. That's right. It's what Ross says. And it would be a way for us to not develop uh, telepathy or these thought forms that would be, um, experiential and conceptual all at once this way the opposable thumbs lead to tool making and um, all kinds of things but the, the the end result was a really high degree of intensity it intensified the third density experience it intensified the veil these things so when you see texas aggies my dad's a texas aggie and Texas Aggies are, are going like this, thumbs up, because that's what they do. You can say, you veil thickener. I'm just kidding. <laughs> My dad's an Aggie, so he never listened to this anyways. Um, okay. Uh, and then we have another bias of the deep mind of the sublogos is uh, monogamous relationships between male and female. That's actually a bias um, from second density. And Ross says it's nothing more than a bias. That, And it doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It just means that this was a bias that was seen as a way uh, wherein kindness could be more greatly manifested. Because if you have a pairing 
that mates and has children, then there's, uh, there's a necessity for service to each other and servicing to each other catalyzes the heart chakras and whatnot. So you have growth towards um, the efficient path, which Ra later says the efficient path is the positive path. So uh, anyways, the bias towards monogamous relationships between male and female um, would be another bias that... Now, I have a question. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Why does it have to be a male and a female? I mean, any two people could have that kind of compatible relationship that you just described. Yes. Um, we're talking about second density, and we're talking about having uh, the you know, have, having reproducing at a second density level would allow for, um, animals to instinctually stay together long enough to provide service that is above and beyond the instinctual level, just because they would stick around long enough to each other. And they have these offspring to kind of build. But when it comes to humans, um, the way I'm understanding the law of one is it's not male and female bodies per se, but it is male and female principles. Sure. So okay. for example, um, relationships between male, female okay. principles within yourself or female and female together, male and male together, really it kind of monogamous relationships at the human level um, could look a lot of, a lot of like are very diverse rather could be very diverse and it might be between two really close friends. The point is, is that do, do relationships result and have the fruit of intense service. Um, and at the third density level, there's diversity in that, but like all ocean or all rivers start at the beginning at the headwaters in little trickles the trickle, the bias there was monogamous relationships between male and female, uh, second density. Okay. And then um, lastly, the experience archetype looks at the cosmic mind of the logos. Now, remember the cosmic mind of the logos pretty much has, I mean, it has all of the experience that we all have, but the one that's powerful that's the one that we all inherit is the original thought to seek experience of itself and to know itself everything we do if you pare it down and look right at the very root of it it's in, to some degree wanting to experience ourselves to know ourselves and that includes outward expression as well as inward movement and unity the male principle of outward expression, the female principle of union and unity. We all have this because that's the original thought and the original desire. See? Um, all right. So experience, uh, the archetype feeds catalyst. So even if it's a third density entity that's brand new, let's say they were a dog, uh, in the last life, and now they're a third density entity, they're going to be given their experience archetype is going to be, it's going to have some things in it. 
It's going to have the, um, it might even have the third density biases of its own group soul, the, the group soul of dogs of that species or something. It's hard to say, and I don't want to get too caught up into that area. But regardless, it will have some experience, even if it's um, really, really rudimentary. And that comes down into the catalyst. It's a ca the catalyst archetype is what then feeds the potentiator. And the potentiator is that archetype that builds. You could see it as building pressure. And then moves forward and taps the matrix. Okay. The, taps the matrix here. And... Finally, once it's tapped, once the matrix is tapped, the significator has to figure out what the heck to do with it. So the matrix archetype receives the message from the potentiator and gives it to the significator, which makes the decision of what to do. And guess what? Magic happens. Because Ra says magic ability is the ability to consciously use the so-called unconscious. And this creates more catalyst. So whenever you and I are talking, whenever have you ever had an incredible conversation? It's like, oh my God, that was magical. Or, I mean, magic is all the time. Some magic obviously has more effect than other magic. The word magic is having changes in the consciousness. And so... When the significator makes a decision to do something, significator is doing some level of magic. Or if you've studied other esoteric traditions, they call them thought forms or elementals, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to go from that. That was number five. So now we're going to go to number six. What happens? The significator does something and... The significator makes a decision which creates catalyst because everything you, you create, whatever magic you create, is catalyst both outside you. So, for example, um, if I – well, let's say I go outside uh, in a crowded field here in the park next door and I'm running around naked. You know what? That's going to cause a lot of catalyst. <laughs> Noah, do you have a question? Just You're saying don't do it. Say don't do that, Doug. Don't yeah. do that. You know, there's something about my experience archetype that says that that would be a bad idea. No, no, Doug. Yeah, right. Yeah. Thank Listen you. Listen to that experience archetype, yeah. It, there's a big-ass shelf devoted to not going naked in public right there. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just... Letting you know I'm safe, but um, also don't want to frighten your community. Yeah, Marcus says exercise your free will. So you well, know, my free will is to stay um, in my daughter's room with these these little protective angels, especially that one. I, I don't know whether she's possessed or saintly, but I can't tell. Anyways, um, the. So the significator, whatever it creates, it creates a catalyst. And that catalyst is fed into experience archetype. Why? 
what happens when the catalyst is sent, the catalyst that I create uh, goes to the my experience archetype? What happens? Why? Because that's where it gets archived. It gets shelved there. And then that creates a bias. So the experience archetype then sifts the catalyst, creates bias, provides these lenses, and then gives it back to the catalyst. So you can see it's, it's this circle. Experience goes to catalyst, catalyst goes to potentiator, potentiator goes to matrix. The significator says, all right, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm not gonna run around outside naked. Uh, that decision, which is a good one, goes back to the catalyst archetype, which then goes to back to the experience archetype and that reinforces the biases there, or it might challenge biases. Can anybody think of a way in which a catalyst might challenge biases that you have? I mean, if you have like wrong biases, then, and the catalyst is showing you a better way. That's one way I can see. Absolutely. Yeah. What about a real life example about that? Anybody, can anybody? Uh... Well, seeing the psychotherapist be one, you, you get challenged by the psychotherapist. Uh, or yeah, another phrase from psychology is a corrected emotional experience where suddenly you realize the world isn't out to get you. It's there are people there to love and support you. That's you know, kind of transformative. Absolutely. Diana? Um, sometimes parents have a, a negative bias against a particular way of being. It could be um, homosexuality or it could be neurodivergence. And then they end up with a child who chooses, according to Ra, to come in, pick those parents and say, hey, I'm here, and this is the work we're going to do together. And it's really challenging for the parents and catalyzing, but ultimately, like, often they love their kids so, so much, and they they open up, and they, they hold this new space of light in the world for all these other beings who have that particular difference or, yeah, variety. That happened in my family with my parents, actually, so... Yeah. In, in what way, Asia? Um, well, I came out kind of late uh, because I'm bisexual. And so I always just picked the easier road <laughs> um, when I was younger. And um, then when I turned about 39, um, I met my husband who's transgender. And I had to come out to my parents because I was in love. And um, yeah, it was hard for them at first. My my parents are very legalistic, like evangelical Christian, but there's also messianic Christianity mixed in there. So it's super, super legalistic. And, um, but my mom and I are very, very close. And so when it happened, um, she just kind of had to take a couple steps back and think for a little while, it only took her two days. Um, but then she came back and she was like, yeah, this can't, this can't matter to me because I love you so much. So 
you know, like she just kind of had to change her whole perspective and her, the whole way that she used to meet that kind of, you know, catalyst, that kind of person, she completely changed because she used to be like, um, told the whole tough love thing. And she came to, to our wedding. So she had to search her soul about it, but she still did. So. Wow. I, okay. So that's like a perfect example of what I've been trying to say. You're, so then let's walk this through in terms of the flow. Your mom had a certain cat She had experience. The, her archetype of experience was formed by the biases of legalism, religiosity, whatever soup that was, but it created a lot of biases based mm-hmm. upon her particular flow and then also what she inherited. So all of that is this big bag of experience. And then everything's working okay until you, <laughs> you were literally the, the wrench in the, in the system here. And, and then you caused, a, you caused a catalyst. So you were a catalyst in the archetype sense that caused her to, um, it, it like went to the potentiator, went up to the matrix. She's like, oh my God, what do I do? hits the significator, and then she has to make a decision. What do I do? Do I throw her out? So then all of a sudden, that catalyst of what do I do goes back into her experience archetype and then starts to like, maybe we need to redecorate here. But first, the whole the whole darn, you probably like all of the bookshelves fell down from the earthquake that you caused. <laughs> and, yeah. In yeah. fact, she sent me a meme that her response to me, I was like, Hey mom, you know, I just kind of made it pretty simple, plain and simple. But her response to me was that professor going, you know, yeah. Mind blow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that was it for a little while. She's like, Whoa, I'm going to have to think about this. And you could have uh, said later, you know, now you could say that wasn't your, that, you know what that was, mom, that was not a mind blow. That was the archetype of experience of mind blow. Yes. Just kidding. Just kidding. But anyways, (laughs) (laughs) and then you can see though, then then the catalyst. And so she had a new, uh, new movement and we're actually going to get to that now, which is what, um, this. Okay. So, uh, by the way, Asia, I can, um, I can, I'm going to ask you now for you to think about it. Uh, and you can let me know if you want, me to include that in the podcast, what you shared. Sure, that's fine. Oh, are you you sure? Okay. I think it would be very helpful for other people to be honest with you. Um, It's a perfect, like it's a perfect book. Okay. Thank you. My life is a lesson for all. (laughs) For sure. All right. Well, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, We appreciate it. Yes. Okay. So anyways, um, at some point, Ross says that a third density being and I don't know how many lives this is into the 75,000 year distance of third density. I don't know if it's the first few lives. I don't know. It might take some people longer, a whole lot longer. But at some point on the unconscious level, Ross says, a person becomes aware of evolution, of developmental stages, that there there's a growth happening. And they make a decision 
they, they have they start having a bias towards one polarity or the other between the negative or positive diana you're you might be getting to this but since we chatted about it the other day i was hoping you might add that the bias might initially be unconscious uh i thought i just said that but if i didn't say it the oh. The, the bias starts out and it's almost always unconscious. Sorry, I probably missed it. Yes, it's always starts off in the unconscious. The bias begins to be unconscious. That's why it's located in the unconscious area because the only conscious area is the matrix and the significator. Okay. And one makes a, uh, a choice of polarity and I have linked it with the experience archetype. And the reason why is because number one, it is unconscious at first. And number two, it's going to become the primary lens through which experience gets sifted. So here's how I see it, just to make it really uh, home, homey for us nerds, because you're not on this call if you're not somewhat of a cosmic nerd let's put it that way and that is experience before making a choice the experience archetype before making a choice maybe had oh i don't know a high schooler who was the librarian you know kind of messy book falls down oh i don't really care i'll grab this other one things upside down but once a person makes a choice it's like a, a professional librarian comes in and starts to really rearrange stuff because it becomes very fo more and more um, organized via biases that are informed by the choice. So if someone makes a positive, I'm a positive, I make a choice of polarity, which is positive, then I'm going to choose a bias to understand what happens to me from a more and more positive place. Now, if I'm choosing the negative path, then I'm going to do the same thing, but it's going to be more and more, how does this, how am I the victim or how can I get back or how can revenge and all of this stuff and it's height. How can I have the power and dominate? But the, the person who's chosen a positive polarity, even those Ross says, those catalysts that are cruel, seemingly cruel and uh, cold and devastating from a positive polarity position, pretty well advanced into adepthood really, is someone who can say even the negative experiences are positive because I just trusted so much the growth that happens. So we're going to talk about that too here in a minute. Diana? It might be a good place to clarify something that I think you would totally agree with, yeah. which is that positive entities don't look around in the world and see these atrocities happening and say, that's, that's great. That's positive, right? But they perceive each difficulty as an opportunity to do their spiritual work. And so they have a deeply positive relationship to that which is negative in the world in that sense. It doesn't mean that they uh, do nothing to try to help. Yes. Or that they celebrate 
bad things. They, they just recognize that it's something to work with rather than to control from a place of total non-acceptance and just like exerting their own will and uh, dominance over. Uh, perfectly said. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. Can anybody think of something in your life that initially felt pretty darn negative, but you sat with it long enough and then it, that liminal space that we've talked about so much on, on here, and then it moves into something positive and maybe you never would have chosen it at the beginning because of the difficulty, but you sure are glad it happened because you wouldn't be who you are without it. So <clears throat> we, we moved from choosing a polarity connected with experience and that leads us to the sixth archetype, transformation. The choice of polarity becomes the bias which prompts the experience archetype to sift experience through positive polarity bias or negative polarity bias. Then, as the experience archetype feeds catalysts to the potentiator, which then taps the matrix, and the significator has an increasingly biased lens through which to make decisions, these decisions create more bias towards the chosen polarity, and this cycle leads to evolution or transformation. So in other words, the more we decide on how to see things and do things, that gets fed back into eventually to experience our biases are strengthened that goes back around and up and through into the uh, the conscious and as we grow more and more it moves us forward in transformation so just to move back to to asia's example uh obviously we don't know your mom but maybe you could weigh in and was your, like her love for you and your love for her and then you're coming out and then her having to grapple with that. How has that led to some level of transformation on her part in terms of her worldview? Has that moved in any direction? Oh, absolutely. Um, well, my parents had a very limited understanding of what, it was like to be transgender or you know what transgender people had to deal with um before meeting my husband um the thing that's really <laughs> the thing that's just really spectacular about the situation is that my husband is like a copy of my dad <laughs> so my mom seeing a transgender man that looks and acts and for all intents and purposes, exactly like her husband, who is cisgender, um, is that's a really like reaffirming experience for her. I think you know it allows her to say, "This is real." You know, I can see that this is the same. You know that that they're the same. You know, um, and I don't think that they ever realized. Um, I don't think they ever would have realized that truth before um, had it not been for my husband. So um, 
My mom is a very loving person. Um, she just really loves rules. And so um, she had to rearrange hers a little bit, but she did it. She she did it spectacularly. So, yeah. Thank you. And really, I, I, I'm really ass- amazing. I'm assuming from a chakra standpoint, likely her her um, heart chakra, the green ray energy center, likely crystallized a bit more so that she could see more, with more understand, love and understanding, more holistically. Mm-hmm. And it, it likely penetrated enough so that she could see the world a little bit differently, but she certainly saw you differently. And that was mm-hmm. a transformation. That would be the archetype of transformation in her life. We're going to get to this slide and the next slide later, but I'm just going to briefly show you because it's so fun. And I, and I spent a whole long time on it. So I mean, that's kind of my own bias. It's a service to self moment here where I want to do something for myself. So here it is. <laughs> um, so it's will and faith are developed through choosing the polarity And, well, it's the veil that actually allows the idea of will, not willpower so much, but the how to direct one's will and to have the will and the intensity of the will. And also faith, the sense of um, believing that something is, knowing something is absolutely true without seeing it. Uh, faith is it's an incredibly beautiful, very complicated um, system. And we're going to talk about that here. We're going to have a few sessions on that here in a little bit later on. But uh, now we're going to, again, we're going to explore will and faith next time. But check this out. Boom, boom, and boom. When you put it all together, people, <laughs> what do you get? You get a chariot. So... If you can see, this is the great mind. The great way of the mind is like a chariot. That's what the actual archetype is. But this one is sort of sideways because, you know, because it is. There you go. But what we have is what is pulling this chariot? It's the experience. It's pulling the chariot. It's the, it's the power behind it all is, is the bias that the archetype choice gives to experience. So these are kind of pulling the entity forward. We have the two wheels. We've got catalyst and potentiator. These are on the unconscious. Moving up to the matrix, which is kind of the body. And then, of course, the head being the significator. And where's the head? And the whole thing is moving forward. That's transformation. And the reins the reins that is connecting, connecting the person with, with the horses is will and faith. So I know I'm trying to be clever. I get it. But it kind of works. And when you're simple-minded like me and you need visual stuff, you can kind of see how all of these are all of the archetypes of the mind that Ra talks about. And they fit in a way, for me, that makes sense of this flow, that we're going forward somewhere, will and faith of the reins, and the whole thing is called the great way of the mind. And that's archetype number seven. Hey, Doug, I have a quick random question before we wrap up. Yep. Um, So 
you can agree or disagree with this. It seems like this whole process, the great way of the mind can either happen over this, over a large span of time, or I guess not that long in our third density experience years, three, five, 10, 15 years, this whole process can happen. And it seems like it can also happen within the, within a fraction of a second, receiving a catalyst, choosing a positive path with will and faith. Would you agree with that? I guess I'm trying to, make Oh, all of this of happens in person. a, it can happen in a fraction of a second, or it can take a multiple lifetimes. Okay, great. It, it just depends. Yeah, but absolutely. You, you can probably think of things in your life that just boom and out real quick and just went through that really quick and rearranged everything. Yeah, um, yeah. Just, just to give you one example, we know from research, psychological research, that uh, resiliency in children, if you can... If a child who comes from a very, very dysfunctional home with low, little resources has, at, has a 10-minute encounter with another person of real depth, and that person is like a, a true self person that meets them, loves them, shows them that they're worthy and just like absolutely um, sees their soul and that lasts for only for 10 minutes, that is enough to completely rearrange their life, to totally change the trajectory of their life, uh, and they can break out of cycles just from 10 minutes. So there would be an example of busting some, uh, some system busting, bustings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, Diana, and then we have to wrap up. Um, I think... It's fair to say that although the choice is made um, in terms of the bias of the consciousness towards service to self or service to others, so you decide at some point, at first unconsciously, and then you become conscious of it, that you really want to serve everyone as one, as the creator, as a positive being. But then moment by moment in every decision that you make and every perception that you have, the choice is either affirmed, reaffirmed, you know, or denied. And the affirmation of, of choice causes you to gain polarity and power. And the denial of choice causes you to lose some polarity until the point that you can, some people can, entities can flip the script, yep. right? And end up going along the negative path. But um, it's not like the choice is just made once. No. It's realized. Your, the bias of your consciousness is realized, and then it needs to be perpetually reaffirmed because if you know something to be true about yourself and then you act in denial of it, you're, there's entropy there. Right? Yeah. And that entropy is medi uh, mediated through what's called the law of responsibility. Because once you know something, you know, it's like the parable of the ten talents in the Bible – what, if you're given a certain amount of responsibility, you have to um, have a, a, a corresponding praxis of that where it's lived experiential reality in your daily life or there's karmic issues. And um, I think that when Ra talks about that there's very few people to harvest in third density is because a lot of people have made the choice for positive polarity. But as Ra says... They vacillate so much through through their lifetimes, multiple lifetimes of positive and then some negative, positive and then some negative, and then maybe some negative. In the, 
that there's not, as Ross says, grasping the baton and running or pointing the compass in one way and going. Um, and, and again, because Christianity is my own uh, background, I will say that one of the parables where it is Jesus talking about once you're plowing, put your face to the plow and go forward, don't look back. <laughs> that would be an example of that. Once you've made a decision, you got to go for it. Thank you so much for your attention. As you can see, we can start to see how this moves in our own lives. And we're going to talk even more about it next week. So it's really exciting. Would, would there be anybody here that could close us out with a closing prayer? Thank you. All right, let's all close our eyes and uh, let's all stick our thumbs out. I'm just joking. Don't, don't do that. So, um, yeah, thank you, Doug, for, for tonight. Um, let's take a deep breath. Uh, Father, we, we invite you into a space where you already inhabit. We invite ourselves, our subconscious, to inform our conscious mind of the stillness and the presence that you offer us. And we invite one another into that space as well as we um, enter back into our routine and into our lives. Um, my prayer is that we would have a deep and abiding sense of your presence with us in every moment, the love present with ourselves, with our brothers and sisters that we encounter. My prayer is that as we encounter these other selves, that we would just be the love that you already are, that we would be the light that you already are and the presence that you already are. And we thank you for these moments and these spaces to um, tap into these ideas behind the veil that can inform our incarnated experiences here that we would be able to teach what we're learning and learn what we're teaching in a way that it all becomes synthesized and that ultimately the greatest truth we can offer is the lives that we live as um, reflections of you and I pray that we would know that with that gnosis that comes through experience and for each of us on our own unique journeys that we be faithful to where we are and honor where we are and honor our brother and sister where they are through love amen 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 amen, amen. so beautiful amen